Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. What an incredible opportunity it is every single week to gather here at City Collective. Wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, I hope that you feel welcome. Uh, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you think about this whole Jesus thing. Uh, I hope that it is an environment that you have felt welcome, uh, that you've had a warm smile greet you on the way in, and it has been a, a good morning for you thus far. But this morning is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, like I said, is the beginning of Holy Week. It is Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. And so I'm excited to, to jump into this. We had Pastor Mike with us this past week. Uh, and he was talking about Simon of Serene in our first, first part of uh, our Easter series called The Forgotten. And it's this character that we don't often hear much about, but it teaches us something about how we engage with Jesus on his journey to the cross. And, and this morning, we're going to continue with that narrative, looking to another character, another situation in particular, where uh, individuals on the story of Jesus are maybe forgotten or are not thought about as commonly in the journey. So uh, Palm Sunday, beginning of Holy Week, I, uh, I know that Easter is that time of year that we get the opportunity to celebrate, like I said, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is awesome. That is something that we get to do. But it is also an incredible opportunity to invite your friends, your family, your coworkers, that person that you've been thinking about, praying about, hoping for, they would possibly come to church at some point to hear this message of hope that has transformed your life. Easter is that time of year where people are just like, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll consider it. I hear that churches do special things on Sundays and there's free food. If that's how you get them out to church, great. We're just really excited and this is a great opportunity to bring them out. Uh, that is next week for us and we're doing our egg extravaganza on the Saturday as well and that's going to be great with the community. But I'm going to jump right into it uh, and I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 27 starting in verse 15. You can follow along on the big screen in behind. And it says this. It says, Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd. Anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. And as the crowd gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Should have listened to his wife. Meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. And Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who's called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. God, whether you realize it or not, is deeply committed to you. He is mindful of you. He loves you. God knows you. God desires to transform your life 
in, a, in an amazing new way. He desires to be the substitution in your story. But the issue that we face and the issue that we're going to deal with this morning is will I trust that commitment? Now, I have issues uh, with trust and the idea of trust, and it goes back to my childhood. Uh, when you go to middle school, high school, there's often these, these parts of the student experience that involve leadership and leadership development. And what comes with leadership development? You go off to a retreat. You go off to this random place in the middle of the forest where they force you to sleep on cots and as a brown guy that doesn't ever camp. I have never slept in a tent before. And that is a confession to a group where I feel like the shock and awe from you as I say that. Because everyone's like, I love the outdoors. It's the best. It's where I get my mojo. It's the best. So I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I have not. And so they force you to go into those environments. And, it, and it's great that you go and you spend time with this new group of people and you get to know them. But they always have these like icebreaker exercises. They always have these things that they want you to do that they feel will somehow join you closer together so that you might trust each other a little more. And there's one in particular that we all seem to know and you've probably done at some point in your life and it is a trust fall. And perhaps it is bringing back flashbacks of not being caught upon that fall. <laughs> but we've all had this, this thing in our retreats or in our getaways where this trust fall is part of getting to know the people around you. And you know what? The premise of it sounds great, but deep down, I've got some issues with the concept of it because I'm showing up at this event and it's often at the beginning of the school year. You don't got friends really at this point. You don't have trust with those people. You don't know them. And then you're expected to fall backwards into them. Come on now. And especially when you're in middle school, where deodorant is a new concept. <laughs> I had to learn. And I don't know if I learned soon enough. And I don't blame them if I'm falling backwards and they're like, eh, maybe not. It's not all that it's kind of cracked up to be. I don't know these people that I'm falling back into. And forget those people. What if I fall incorrectly? Like falling forward. That's the wrong way to fall. What if I fall at the wrong angle, the wrong speed? I'm a slightly rotund little brown boy with braces at this point. If I have any kind of jarring experience with my face, if I hit the ground and my face is like some kind of movement on it, those braces, it's going to be like Hannibal Lecter. It's going to be really bloody. It's that kind of experience that you have as a little kid. So you think about all these different situations. And trust seems pretty difficult. A trust fall seems pretty difficult. So I've got issues with trust. And this, this issue with trust as I have as a, as a kid kind of stems into things as I get older. Because as you get older, of course, uh, they, they say it's a meeting. They say it's a company getaway. They say it's a team retreat. But they still have you do the same things you did in middle school. <laughs> and they, the trust fall is still a thing. So I got issues with trust. And, and I think for, for some of you, uh, there's probably some issues with trust as well. 
Because it's not, it's not simply falling. It's, it's, it's believing that someone's going to catch you. The reality is our, of our life is that we have trust issues. I have trust issues. And I think that we have trust issues not simply because we are suspicious of people, but because we have experienced disappointments in the past. At some point in our life, disappointment has caused us to become skeptical. Unsure of the people that we build relationships with. And we live in a world where the critic is, is justified or even celebrated as simply being a realist. On November 9th, 2016, New York Magazine, they published an article called The Science of Disappointment. And the article, it opens by stating the obvious when it says, the feeling of being let down is actually one of life's toughest emotions. It drives the manner in which we think, the way we respond, the way we engage in our everyday relationships. We have this misconception that the moments of dis disappointment that we experience can and should be compartmentalized for later engagement. But as humans, the feeling of disappointment that we carry has an impact upon all that we do. Of course, we don't need an article to know that this is true. That disappointment hurts. A spouse or a partner, that person who made butterflies in your stomach, dance, cheated on you, and then they hit it. Your, your colleague smeared you in a meeting and in order to steal the promotion that you deserved. The child that you prayed for since birth stormed out of the house swearing at you on their way saying they'll never return. A forgotten birthday, a, withhold, a withheld apology, a bucket full of lies from someone that you died for. Disappointment is an unavoidable part of being human. But as the New York Magazine notes, the experience is, is physiological, not just emotional. The feeling of disappointment is linked to our levels of, of dopamine, the, the brain's pleasure center, released during positive life experiences. The do dopamine systems in our brain don't just react to what you experience in the moment, but they attempt to predict what you want or what you need. Here's how it works. Your brain generates expectations about the future. Often these expectations are based on what you want. And something you perceive as good has happened in the past, so you begin to expect that it will happen again in the future. But, and before it happens, your, your body releases dopamine levels and they rise in, in a rush of anticipation. Then when that good thing actually happens, you get a double dose. And it feels good and, and, and it's excellent and you're so excited about it and, and you want more of that. You want to reinvigorate that experience over and over and over again. But here's, here's the rub of it, that your brain, life doesn't always give you what you expect. Is that fair to say? That at some point you have experienced disappointment because life has not progressed as you have expected. 
How does that impact the way that you live, the way that you think? People fail us. People hurt us. People lay us on the altars of their own selfishness. And when you don't get the desired results that you had at one point, researchers call this the reward prediction error. Not only do your dopamine levels fall, they plummet from the heightened level generated by your expectation. I think it's fun to say that expectations are great and they fall. And and when we don't have our expectations met, met, it hurts. And that's great. But there's something to understanding how we are actually made that physiologically, the, these experiences that we're having, they're, they're not just isolated to us as human beings. This is how we are created. The moments that we experience, the things that happen, it's not just up here. It's, it's in every bit of our body so that when you experience disappointment and when you experience this moment where you've lost trust with someone and you feel it physically, that's a real thing. It's a physical experience that you have. And when you experience not just something up here, but something that's in here, how dramatically does that impact the way that you live your life? We walk into spaces with a defense mechanism, but I don't want to ever experience that again. So I'm not going to ever have a heightened sense of expectation. I'm going to reduce the way that I experience the moment by dulling myself with a sense of apathy in the world that I live. And it's almost like a tool that the devil uses against us in the way that we're created so that we don't have a sense of expectation in the world that we live because you don't want to get too high and you don't want to get too low because the low hurts too much. And now instead of receiving a double shot of dopamine, you receive none. And you crash doubly hard. And the article says, not only do you not get what you wanted, but you also feel the displeasure of having been wrong. The point? Losing hurts even worse when it's not what you were expecting. And I don't think I'm saying something that you haven't thought of or experienced before, but maybe it's just words that actually brings some kind of context to an experience that you've had. And the story which possibly plays out this experience of a real response of disappointment in the journey of Jesus is known as the triumphal, triumphant entry. Usually talked about today on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. So we, re- we read the story of the people calling to crucify Jesus. That was the verse that we read at the very beginning. But just a week prior, the scene was much different. Matthew 21, dust was swirling across the scorching desert as a rebel rabbi and his band of co-conspirators climbed up to Jerusalem. Rather than slip into the city unannounced, Jesus did something strange. He told a couple of his disciples to go to a particular place and retrieve a donkey for him to ride into the city. And Jesus turns his face towards A city that kills prophets, that stones truth-tellers and executes troublemakers. And with a deep sigh, he steeled himself. He mounted the humble beast that is the donkey. And he clip-clopped his way toward the Kidron Valley. 
And when the people of Jerusalem saw Jesus approaching, they erupted with excitement. They weren't shouting crucify him at this point. The crowd whacked off branches off of trees and laid them across Jesus' path as if they weren't, there wasn't enough pomp and ceremony. The crowd then breaks out into a Passover song. All four gospel writers include this narrative and each one of them, they have their own twist to it. But Matthew's version says that the procession puts the whole city into, uses the word turmoil. But it's as if it was causing the city to tremble. The excitement and the expectation that was in that city as Jesus arrived was shaking it to its very core. And the story begins with great expectations, which are easy to miss. Jesus has just been in Bethany. And he's just raised a man from the dead. He's resurrected his friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus is barely breathed and seeing a ray of sunshine. And word is spread to the city of Jerusalem. And hearing this story, the crowd reacts and their brains are bathed with dopamine and they begin to predict how God was going to come and transform their lives as well. He was going to work a miracle. He will expect, he will expel the occupiers and resurrect God's people in God's city. And the palm branches signaled the crowd's high expectation because just 200 years before, Judas Maccabeus had come and he had been a conquering hero arriving back to Jerusalem and they had responded with the same action. With palms on the ground as as he made his way into the city and they were shouting Hosanna at that time as well because a conquering hero had come to free them from Roman occupation. So no, they weren't just expecting a miracle to happen in their life. They're expecting Jesus now to not simply come and enter the city and just be a part of it. He's coming as a conquering hero to free them from the Roman oppression. There was a new sheriff in town in their minds. Their song declared, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is a song that the Jews sang at the beginning of Passover and it's taken from Psalm 118, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Testament, And it tells of an enemy who's swarming like bees all around and it drives the psalmist to the brink of destruction and then God sweeps in and he saves him from his enemies. The word Hosanna, it means Lord save now. They're asking Jesus to drive out the enemy army and restore order. And even later on in their call for Barabbas, it kind of reveals their expectation in that moment. Because when they choose Barabbas over Jesus, they're choosing an individual who's known as a murderer. As an insurrectionist, as, as what we would quantify as, as an essentially a terrorist in our modern day society. Trying to execute the things of the state of religion through a violent means. So they were choosing violent measures over the way of peace. Because Jesus shows up and he says to turn the other cheek. He says to love your neighbor, to love your enemy, to do good to those who hate you. And they choose violence over peace. They choose hate over love. They choose the self-obsession over this idea of divine grace. 
even the donkey plays a role in the expectation that they would have had. Because in Zechariah 9 verse 9, it says, See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. They see a man on a donkey. They hear of the miracles that he's done. They hear about the opportunity for a transformation of a society. So expectations are sky high. And I imagine that night around the dinner table as they're gathering, the Jews likely discussed, is this our guy? Could this be the king we have been waiting for? He was riding a donkey after all. And by the time Jesus mounted the donkey and descended into the town, we have no doubt that they are riding this high of expectation. And then not even one week later, we find ourselves in Matthew 27. And from Hosanna, they're now saying, crucify him. From people laying palm leaves to cursing his name. From hope to hate, from Hosanna to crucify him, the people chose Barabbas over Jesus. And the crowds of that day are not that much different than you and I. I've, I've spent my, my whole life in a lot of different church scenarios, evangelical, mainline, uh, small, mega. I can't think of one that hasn't projected an expectation onto God. Maybe, maybe you picture God as a heavenly bellhop whose job is to satisfy your deepest desires. Or perhaps you see God as a holy matchmaker who will secure, secure you your spouse. Uh, maybe God is a cosmic bodyguard who protects you from harm. Or the world's best nanny, making sure your kids turn out all right. Or a divine doctor healing your every physical and mental ailments, or a wonder-working accountant solving all your financial worries provided you drop off a portion in the church's offering after service. People tend to assume that God is the deity that they want. And that all they have to do is snatch up a couple verses, listen to a couple things that confirm their bias, and before you know it, this... Uh, this assumption and this expectation that they're carrying about who God is becomes this cement and you begin expecting God to work in a particular way in your life, not unlike the people of Jerusalem. But here is the thing about expectations set in our own assumptions. Those are based on the idea of us having control and familiarity and that is not how God functions in our life. God is not in the business of you having 100% control of your situation all the time. Because if you do, if I do, I know that things would not go particularly well all the time. <laughs> because we are more prone to be like the people who are chanting, crucify him, calling for Barabbas, choosing violence over peace, choosing hate over love, choosing rejection over acceptance. They wanted to be freed from, power, from the power of Rome, but needed to be freed from the power of sin 
Because the thing is, we base our assumptions upon what we want when God is always orienting his actions around what we need. And often the things that we think are the, the fix to our problem are simply symptomatic. And when Jesus enters the equation, he says, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. For the, for the people that were in that city already, they had already dealt with Roman oppression for so long that all they knew was a violent response. And then Jesus shows up and he says, no, there's another way. There's, there's a peaceful way to, to respond to this. See, Jesus brings a, a different perspective into our world. And this, this works pretty well as long as God seems to do what we want him to do. But the moment he doesn't conform to our expectations, our whole world is in turmoil. A baby is born with a disability. A person you love abandons you for another. A friend dies before her time. And the expectations you placed on God ferment into distrust, into disappointment. And as author Anne Lamott says, expectations become resentments under construction. In September 2015, uh, an individual wrote an article in the New York Times titled, Googling for God. And he wanted to show how Google search data can actually tell us about the psychology of the modern age. When it comes to God, many people won't share their struggles with each other or with uh, their pastor or with their church or with their friends. Instead, they type them into Google where they can ask them with complete anonymity. And so he, he sifted through a, decades, a decade worth of Google searches and found that the most Googled questions about God included these. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God need so much praise? Why does God hate me? Why did God make me ugly? Why did God make me gay? Why did God make me black? And it's heartbreaking. But we can see that there's a thread through these questions. And it's disappointment with God. And this is the very thing that is driving from Hosanna to crucify him in the course of a week. He arrived, this hailing hero on sky-high expectations. And do you know the very first thing that he does when he gets into that city? They are so excited to receive him. They're chanting his name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's like, yeah. And then he goes to the temple and he starts flipping tables. That's going to cause a little bit of a broken expectation. You were supposed to be our guy. You were supposed to do what we needed you to do. We had crafted you to be the perfect person to save us. And now you come into our sacred space and you tell us we're doing it wrong? And thus began the journey of broken expectation in that week. 
many of us, perhaps, perhaps tens of millions of us, have a common experience when it comes to spirituality. We expect God to be something and then discover that he is not like that at all. Or we expect God to do something, only to realize that he seems to have his own priorities. And in these moments is when we have that tsunami of disappointments hit us. And the Palm Sunday story, it displays this transition from expectation to disappointments in technicolor. This triumphant, this triumphant arrival becomes a trial and the trial becomes an execution. Jesus entered the city on a donkey and we know that he leaves in a body bag. This is not just a fun parade. Jesus is walking down death row. Jesus is a king, but not the kind that they wanted. He will serve rather than be served. He will die and not be killed. He enters unarmed, waging peace. And this makes a larger point that God does not intend to meet our expectations. Instead, he intends to meet our needs. God does not intend to meet your expectations. He intends to meet your needs. And we have trouble identifying our needs often in our story. Because our expectations are often built upon the things that we want. Upon the situations that we're in. Lacking the true breath of the future that we have in front of us. And if we're being honest, this conversation is uncomfortable. Let's be, let's, let's be honest. This is, this is not a conversation of God saying that he's just going to, he's rainbows and butterflies and he's going to make everything good if you just say the magic words and it's going to feel good in the morning if you just talk about him like this. This is an honest engagement because this is what the Bible has to show us. That when Jesus comes into a city, we're like those crowds feeling this heightened level of expectation. And then they go through this series of experiences that causes heightened level of disappointment. And then the response is one that is not reflective of what Jesus invites us into. This is the reality of our humanity. And this type of God makes me uncomfortable. I don't want vegetables when I want candy. I want a God that satisfies my desires, whether or not those align with my needs. And so, that, and that's how it is with all of us. We welcome God into our lives with anticipation, with expectation, and we're laying down cloaks and waving palm branches with all that we've got. But when God turns out to be someone that we don't recognize, we scatter like smoke in the wind. And we become slightly disillusioned. And the word disillusion has gotten a bad rap in recent times. It's a gift that God gives us, though, I think, with abundance. And let me define it for you because the word disillusion it, it is odd. Disillusionment is, well, it's the loss of an illusion. It's a feeling of disappointment arising from the realization that something is not what it was expected or believed to be. It is what happens when you take a lie about the world, about yourself, about those you love, about God, and you replace it with the truth. 
disillusionment occurs when God shatters our fantasies, tears down our idols, and dismantles our cardboard cutouts of him. It occurs when God does not conform to our expectations, but rather exists beyond them and provides us this grace and this hope, this love that we didn't realize we really needed at every step of our journey. And this is uncomfortable. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, it says, My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we, I think for many of us, you've heard this before, and you're like, yeah, of course, God knows more than I know. That's cool. That's great. I understand that. That's, that, that's wonderful that God knows more than I know. But the reality is if, if my thoughts are different than God's thoughts and my ways are different than his ways, at some point, disappointment's going to happen. I'm going to think something different than he's thinking. I'm going to do something different than the way he wants me to do it. And there's going to be that moment of disappointment. But here is the hope that we have in Jesus, that in the midst of the disappointments that they experienced, in the midst of the action that they executed upon Jesus, in the midst of their, their roller coaster of dopamine from high to low, Jesus does not change. The response of Jesus remains to be present, to be loving, and to be for the people. When he arrives into the, the city, he doesn't respond to their adulation by saying, ah, you know what, I'm going to wait, I'm going to enjoy this day, and I'm going to go flip some tables on Tuesday. It's going to be way better then. <laughs> no, he's on a mission because he believes that you are worth being saved. You are worth being made whole. You are worth experiencing love at its fullest because we so often don't even realize that that is the thing that we are lacking in our story. That the thing that we are needing, that we, it is not a self-help plan. It is not 10 steps to get your life right. It is the love of Jesus that we need to transform our lives. So when he arrives in that city, he is not on the roller coaster with those crowds. He is just love at every step of the journey. That he enters those gates and he says, no, 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 no. You're, you're, provide, you're causing people to see Religion as this place that is meant to benefit just man, not meant to glorify God. That's not okay with me. In front of the crowds, Barabbas comes and they choose violence over peace. And Jesus says that I could call down angels right now if I wanted to and I could drop a mega bomb and it's done. It's okay. I've got that ability. But I choose to allow this to continue because I want you to understand that I love you, that I come for you, that I come in place of you so that you might experience love and life and wholeness and hope to its fullness. Disappointment will come in our story because you and I are human. And we will have expectations. And the sermon today is not to say, do not have expectations. But it's to understand that when your expectation is not met and when your disappointment overwhelms you, Jesus remains the same on every step of that journey. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. 
That he comes to show us that there is a love that is beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding. That he came for you and for me. The triumphal entry is not about donkeys and palm branches. It's a reminder that placing our expectations on God based on our, our wants is a rep- recipe for resentment. But nurturing openness to, to the divine mystery of his grace is a framework for faith. What would happen if we let God be who God is and not who we wish God would be? And we, and we took some of the things that are said in this book at face value. It says God is love. He is a peace that passes on all understanding. He is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What if we took the character of God as our foundation and, and we allowed God to be who he is? And we responded to that. And we placed our hope in that. And we took our caricatures of who we wish God would be so that we could have ourselves fulfilled in such a way. And we place that on the altar and we say, I, it's not enough. It's not, it's not fulfilling me. It's not leading me to a place where I'm discovering you. Because we've all got them. I have them. Many a morning where I wake up and I want God to be a certain way that day and, and when he doesn't, I, I feel pretty upset about it. But even though I go from Hosanna to crucify him on some days, he's still the same at every step. The conquering king with a different plan than you would have expected. One of love instead of hate. One of peace instead of violence. One of acceptance instead of rejection. It's a story we can't write. It's a story that feels so far away from the possibility of the world around us. but is the hope that he gives to us. And maybe in light of God's great commitment towards you, this commitment that he's going to stay the same, there are still trust issues. And we need to get to the root of what is causing our trust issues. Maybe you were lied to. Maybe you were abandoned, neglected. Maybe the one who said that they would love you left you. You have trust issues. Maybe unforgiveness is at the root of that issue. Maybe arrogance is at the root of that issue. Maybe a sense of simply being forgotten lies at the roots of that issue. Perhaps sustained anger, individualism, brokenness. My dad wasn't there. I got left to the wayside. I didn't have friends that were going to stay with me through much tough moments. I've never felt accepted. We've got no trust in these moments. They, they, they linger and they sit and they pile. 
perhaps you don't even trust yourself anymore. I've come to know someone that I can trust. And his name is Jesus. That conquering king that comes to Jerusalem all those years ago that went to the cross, that died and that rose again is ever present in my story. And let me tell you about him. That you can put the full weight of your life your marriage, your teenage years, your internal conflict, your doubts, your pain and your anxiety, your struggle, you can put that full weight on him. Whatever keeps you up at night, you can put that full weight on him. How do you know, Pastor Jason? Let me tell you a little bit about his resume. His name is Jesus. And he met an outcast, divorced five times over woman at the well, and he turned her into an evangelist. You can trust him. He was in a house teaching, and, and, and a paraplegic was brought before him and was lying down and left walking out. You can trust him. There was a woman diseased with no doctor or hospital nearby that left healed and whole. You can trust him. He went to a funeral where a girl was dead and he asked the daughter to get up and she did. You can trust him. A single parent, a Canaanite mother said, you can, can you heal my child? And he did. You can trust him. A dad said, my son gets thrown about from side to side. I don't know what to do about it. I can't explain it. And Jesus healed him. You can trust him. fishermen were by the water doing their every day and then they suddenly had their lives transformed in a moment for a greater purpose. You can trust him. Families made new. Relationships made whole. Friendships brought to life. Situations brought to reconciliation. And the possibility of tomorrow with Jesus is already there for you to take. You just got to trust him. You can trust him. He went to an old rugged cross for your messed up and my messed up sins. You can trust him. He went down into that grave for you. You can trust him. But on the Sunday, he rose in power. You can trust him. You can trust Jesus. And the choice is yours. And maybe we'll find ourselves this morning at the foot of that cross, giving up all that we have for the one who gave up everything for us. And this morning on Palm Sunday, I want to ask you a question. And I believe we're invited to do this. How have I missed God simply because he didn't show up as I anticipated? or my situation didn't match my familiar expectation? How have I missed God simply because he didn't show up as I thought he would? The story of disappointments can cause us to pause. It doesn't have to be the end of a story. 
but it can be an opportunity to pause and to reflect on the ways in which we've been conditioned to think about God and to invite it into a new story. So would you do this with me? Would you uh, close your eyes for a quick moment? Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've been hurt. uh, And the purpose of closing your eyes is, is not for anything overly spiritual or to make it spiritual in the moment but just for for privacy that I want this to be a moment for you to reflect upon your own story not considering the people around you but just for with you and with God right here right now have you experienced disappointment have you been hurt because the story of Jesus is that God will catch and can handle the full weight of your life It just might not be the way that you expect, the way that you've crafted, the way that you've built up the situation. If you've experienced disappointments in your life, there is a hope in the person that is Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you know him or you don't right now, that hope is given to you freely. His love is given to you freely. And he says, let me take that disappointment. Let me take that hurt and let me replace it with something new. The cross wasn't what we expected. Peace was never supposed to be the way. God wasn't supposed to look like Jesus was. It's not the way everyone thought he was going to look. And then Jesus came and he says that this is the way that I want to lead you. So for every person here this morning, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, let me just pray for you. Jesus, we welcome you into this place. Thank you for your faithfulness in our, in our journey. Thank you that as we've ridden the roller coaster of our situations, of our emotions, of our rejections, of our hurts and our disappointments, thank you that you have remained the same in every situation. That from the gates of Hosanna to the cross of crucifying him. You stayed the same in your love for us. And that is the invitation that you give to us to believe that that love is for us. That is freely given. That we would just simply say, come in. We trust you. We believe in you. Be in our life. Heal hearts this morning remove burdens, give peace to the restless, joy to the mourning, and grace to every situation present. You are a good God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.